Welcome to the Startup of the Year podcast, where each episode we showcase exciting new companies from around the world. This podcast is produced by Established, creators of the Startup of the Year program. Established is focused on helping organizations with their innovation, startup, and communication strategies. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Startup of the Year podcast. I'm Frank Gruber, the co-founder and co-CEO of Established and also managing partner at Established Ventures. I'm excited to be back here with another episode. Today, I'm talking with Whitney Johnson, who is an acclaimed author and CEO of WLJ Advisors. For those of you who don't know Whitney, she's an executive coach, speaker, and an innovative thinker. She was recently named uh, one of the most influential management thinkers uh, by Thinker 50, Thinkers 50. She's also a former Wall Street analyst turned um, you know, author, but before that, she, she had a stint there where she co-founded a fund uh, with Clayton Christensen at the uh, Harvard Business School, so pretty cool stuff. She's invested in at least one unicorn through that fund. Uh, and now she's gone on to write a number of books, including the author, uh, being the author of Build an A-Team and most recently uh, the critically acclaimed author of uh, Disrupt Yourself, among other books as well. So she's written a number of books, done very well. She cr- uh, also creates a podcast weekly called Disrupt Yourself. And on that podcast, she brings uh, this passion for personal disruption uh, to the forefront with you know engaging conversations with disruptors. You can find out more about that at Whitney Johnson's website, uh, and it's WhitneyJohnson.com, and there's a place where you can go to Disrupt Yourself's podcast and uh, get subscribed. And before we jump into the interview with Whitney, I wanted to invite, invite all of our listeners to get involved with the various programs we, we, work, we work with. Um, so at Established, we actually work with a number of different startup organizations, and we try to find the most interesting startup opportunities for startups um, that will help them with their journey. So we've got a number of them right now. If you go to establish.us forward slash programs, you can learn more about them. Uh, we'll be notifying you of new ones as we continue to work with various partner organizations throughout the ecosystem, ecosystems across the country as we look to offer more startup opportunities out there. Because uh, it's, not, it's not easy, and you're going to need help, and we want to be, be a help, helpful support mechanism for you with these various opportunities. So go check that out, establish.us forward slash programs. Okay, now let's go catch up with Whitney Johnson. So welcome, Whitney. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, Frank, I'm so happy to be here. Great. Um, really appreciate it. I know you're super busy. So let's just dive right in. Um, you started in Wall Street, um, you know, getting in, 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 into, into Wall Street and being kind of an analyst and investment banker. How did you get into that to begin with? <laughs> okay, let me see if I can give you the Reader's Digest version. <laughs> so I actually studied music in college and um, I played piano. And when I graduated from college, I knew I didn't want to do music. I had gotten married. And yes, I got married in college. My husband and I, we both moved to York. He's getting his PhD at Columbia. And he has a stipend of like $14,000 a year. So we need food on the table. And I have to go out and get a job. I because I'm a music major, I've never set foot in a business course. I have no job to get other than being a secretary. So my first job was as a secretary to a stockbroker at 1345 Avenue of the Americas, because you always remember the address of your first job. And so I would go to work every day. This was 1989. So it was really exciting, like liars poker and bonfire, the vanities and working girl. And so every day I'm going to work and there's these stockbrokers, aspiring masters of the universe. And they'd say things like throw down your pom-poms and get in the game. And (laughs) kind of offended because I was a cheerleader in high school, but I hear that so many times I realize it's time to 
throw down my pom-poms. And I would not have known to call it this end, but that was the beginning of me disrupting myself, which we'll talk about in just a minute. But that's, that was the beginning as I started taking courses at night and eventually had a boss who moved me from being a secretary to a banker. And so my career on Wall Street began. Very certainly. Wow, that's, that's pretty amazing. So you worked your way up and you ended up being an investment banker and, and doing pretty well at it as well. Yeah, yeah, I did. And so let's talk about you. You mentioned it briefly there, but let's talk about let's first define disruption and then we'll kind of dive into that, that point you mentioned, which is how do you disrupt yourself? Yeah. So disruptive innovation, it's a term that was coined by Clayton Christensen at the Harvard Business School. And as it's at its simplest, it's a silly little thing that eventually takes over the world, like the telephone did to the telegraph, like the automobile did to the horse and buggy. And more recently, we've seen Netflix disrupt Blockbuster, now cable TV, Uber's disrupting cabs. And I suspect there are a number of companies that are listening to this conversation that we're having who are trying to disrupt their industries. And so that's what disruption looks like for a product or a service. Personal disruption is how you take all these ideas and make them meaningful to you. The big difference, of course, is that with personal disruption, you are Netflix and Blockbuster, you're Uber and cabs, you're the silly little thing, and you take over the world because you are disrupting you. So why is disrupting yourself so important? Mm, Great question. So people ask me that a lot. And the reason it's important is if you're working in an environment where there's a lot of disruption, there's a lot of upheaval happening, there's a sense of oh my goodness, I can't deal with this. There's too much happening. I'm going to drown in all this disruption. The only way that you don't drown in the disruption, whether you're an individual or as a company, but certainly it starts with the individual, is that you disrupt yourself because you're basically saying, I am an agent and that is the one thing I have control over. And if you as an individual are continually disrupting yourself, stepping back from who you are to slingshot into who you can be, then you're in a position where the disruption's happening around you, but you're not drowning in it. You're riding that wave. So so you're literally riding this wave through and yeah, yeah, I mean, that's a great, great way to put it. Um, So I guess what would, so how would you get started with this? Like if I was like, Oh, you know what? I'm going to, disrupt myself tomorrow, what would the first step be for me? (laughs) Well, I think the first thing is to just be aware of it. And um, this notion of disruption that you can disrupt yourself. The second thing I would say is, okay, so I wanna do something different tomorrow than what I'm doing today. I want you to think about the fact that every single person's on an S curve. And so this is the second big aha that I had when I was working with Clayton. By the way, we didn't mention that, that I co-founded that Disruptive Innovation Fund with Clayton. Right, so yes. I had this I had this aha that disruption is not just about products, it's about people. Second big aha, as we were using the S curve to invest, I thought, you know what? This can also help us understand how we learn. Basically, a mental model for how we grow. So every time you start something new, you're at the bottom of that S, the bottom of that wave, but then you put in the effort, you move into the sweet spot where things are hard, but not too hard. And then you get to the top where things are easy and you know exactly what you're doing, but because you're no longer enjoying the feel good effects of learning, you can get bored. And so you've got to jump to a new S curve. So you learn, you leap and you repeat, you get to the top, you disrupt yourself. And the reason that you do this, in addition to riding that wave, is that we as human beings are wired to learn. And so when we recognize that and acknowledge that, now we've got this model for, oh, 
this is why when I was on that job and I had to leave that job and everybody thought I was out of my mind, it's because I was at the top of my S curve. Now I have, and you were bored, right? Like at the end of the day, it it just wasn't interesting anymore. Exactly. You've got this explanatory mechanism for why you've done some of the things that you have done. That makes sense. All right. So uh, in the book, you talk about uh, risk. And so can we talk a little bit about there's different types of risk and obviously leaving that job is one of those risks, I, I guess you could say, um, what are they? What are the different types of risks, I guess you could say, and how do you get prepared for taking those risks? Yeah. So, so um, one of the things we have identified were seven accelerants of personal disruption. The first accelerant is taking the right risks. And at its, its basics is there are two kinds of risks that we talk about. There's competitive risk and there's market risk. So competitive risk, and you are all familiar with it, is you know there's an opportunity. You've got the projections to prove it. You just have to figure out if you can compete and win. Sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. Market risk is you don't know if there's an opportunity, but if there is, there's no competition. And according to the theory of disruption, your odds of success are significantly higher when you take on market risk, even though it's not quite as certain. So what does that look like for you as an individual? Well, it means that instead of always going after the job where there's 50 people applying and you know there's a job, you say to yourself, well, I think that there's a problem that needs to be solved and I think I can solve it. And if you can persuade someone to hire you to do it, there's not 50 applicants, there's you. And so you're figuring out ways to create market risk or take on market risk versus competitive risk. And, And to simplify it even further, it's this idea of you're thinking about how can I create versus compete? Amateurs compete, professionals create. And so that's what I mean when I talk about taking the right kinds of risks. It raises your odds of success. Right. That makes sense. And I think you even mentioned like, and this might have, I don't know if this was in the context of yourself or in, in, in a, like a competitive environment with a company, but kind of staying under the radar a little bit could be a competitive thing to do, a good thing to do. Um, can you say why? Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So when you when you when you're a disruptor, you think about what is a disruptor. It's a silly little thing. It's almost like a toy, and so it's very simple. And one of the things that's helpful is if you stay under the radar, no one's aware of you. It's sort of this stealth um, operation where you're able to go into the marketplace, um, even you as an individual, and start to figure out, sort of assess your surroundings, start to iterate, start to practice test it, test it, test it, so that by the time you're ready to, or by the time that people know about you and competitive risk starts to be a thing, if you think about sort of the low end of the launch point of that S-curve, people could squash you like a bug. But if no one's aware of you, then you're able to iterate to the point that once you get into the steep part of the curve and competition comes on, you've started to get your, your business model or whatever it is you're trying to move forward, whether as an individual or as a company, you've got it refined to the point that you can now compete successfully. That makes a lot of sense. And you see that a lot with startups, right? Starting in that stealth mode. Um, some bigger companies go big splash to begin with. And sometimes that doesn't work. Yeah, I've, I've seen even more recently, there's been a couple of companies that have tried that and it doesn't seem to work quite as well. Um, okay, let's talk about constraints. Uh, yeah. in business, there's definitely a lot of different constraints. There's capital, there's time, there's invisible constraints, there's other constraints. How do you feel about constraints in business and um, how can those constraints be used to your advantage? 
Yeah. So it's so interesting that you mentioned that thing that the comment about um, constraints and these large companies making a big splash. So we'll come back to that in a second. Uh, So the idea of constraints, we think that if I had more time or money or buy in from the people around me, um, then I could, you know, really move up that S curve more quickly. But it's a law of physics that you need something to bump up against in order to gain energy. And Mm -hmm. so you look at, um, Quick example, there was a postmortem of 200 failed startups and they divided them into the funded startups and the unfunded startups. The funded startups, the number one reason they went out of they, they went out of business was they ran out of cash. So this idea of some of these companies making this big splash, sometimes they have too many resources. And it was only the number 10 reason for the companies that were bootstrapped. And so we think that constraints are something that's holding us back. But I would argue, and the data would suggest that in fact the constraints are the very thing that we need to create. I mean, very simply, time, right? If none of us ever had to turn in a paper and school would we have ever graduated probably not so constraints are actually really really essential to any sort of business building or creative process that makes sense i mean you definitely see that a lot with i mean the bootstrap companies to come out they they tend to you know get stuff done have a product have a physical product that's out there being used by lots of different people as opposed to the other method which is you know come up with the idea and try to get a lot of capital behind it and and whatnot yeah Yeah. Um, we've seen both all right so you mentioned another. You wanted. Do you want to loop back to the, back to the big company? Or can we move? Oh, I, I did. I did. The fact that sometimes I think they make a big splash and they have too much capital available. Oh, to got them. it. Yeah, yeah. There aren't the constraints imposed where they have to do something. It's something Clayton always said. Um, when we work together, is you need to be impatient, or excuse me, patient for growth and impatient for profits. I think that's really important and, and the importance of, if you don't have constraints then impose them because you actually need them in order to, to move up that S curve. Oh, that makes sense. All right, let's move right along here. There's so many great topics. And I just want to kind of keep shifting through. So let's, yep. let's talk about entitlement. Um, one that could be of, of culture, emotional, financial, um, intellectual. How does entitlement impact us all? And, you know, maybe give some examples and maybe what can we do or leverage it or learn from it to kind of make us help us disrupt ourselves? Yeah. Okay, this is one of those topics that we could talk about for many hours. Um, It's a sneaky, sneaky saboteur um, of of any sort of escrow climb. It shows up when um, everything's working in your business. You're like, you know, margins are expanding, revenue growth accelerating, my team's humming. And so we start to think, think this is the way things will and should always be. And so then we stop asking those crucial questions that will allow us to continue to innovate. But it also happens when you're a startup, for example, and things aren't working the way you want them to. And you're like, oh, well, it's the investor's fault. It's the customer's fault. It's everybody's fault, except for me figuring out how to take the right risks and, and play to my strengths and embrace the constraints that I have. Another way that it can show up is when we start saying um, we start things start being successful and we start. um, What do I want to say? We start to lapse back into our addiction to being right. Um, So what do I mean when I say that? Um, We all like to be right Um, whenever we argue with someone and when our brain floods with adrenaline and dopamine and so we feel dominant and invincible. And so the next time we disagree with someone, we argue again because we're addicted to being right. Well, so what does that do? Well, when we are um, have to be right, then there we're always competing with everyone. We're competing with our customers. We're competing with our investors. We're competing with our team members because we have to be 
right. And so in that competition, instead of taking the disagreement, which is a constraint and turning that disagreement in something that we create, we're competing and you battle your entitlement when you don't have to be addicted, when you take that disagreement and you turn that into something that you, you can create out of it, create a new idea. So you're co-creating. So that's one of the ways that you can battle entitlement. Distilling it again, it's this idea of we treat every person, including ourselves, with dignity and with respect. Um, it's a tough one, but it's really, I, I think it's the most important of all the seven accelerants. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more, and especially in this day and age. Um, so I think interesting thing there is obviously looking at things more optimistically too, right? There's a little bit of optimism there about rather than taking every, like if you hit a wall with like something, you don't stop and say it's this person's fault or that thing didn't work out more about like, well, how do we turn this into a positive? How do we exactly. move on to the next thing, right? So I think it's really interesting. And I think it's, I feel like more optimistic people are more successful. I don't know if that's true or not, but it seems that way. Oh, absolutely. I mean, optimism believes that there's a way. You can find a way. We'll figure it out. And, right, right. and that that's what optimism is. And, and pessimism is there's no way. Well, right. to be an entrepreneur, you I think you have to fundamentally be optimistic. Definitely. Okay. Um, let's move on to risk. Risk is obviously part of everything you do. How do you approach risk and how do you harness the, the power of risk to kind of empower yourself? Yeah. So one of the things I think that's um, interesting about risk, I mean, when you when you make a decision to disrupt yourself, you're you're basically at the top of an S curve and you're saying, do I jump or don't I jump? Do I do something right. new or don't I do something new? So one of the things that you want to be thinking about is, all right, well, I'm probably better off if I take on market versus competitive risk, which we talked about. But the second thing that I want you to think about really seriously is that we sometimes don't want to jump because we're, we're afraid of the unknown. We don't know what the future will bring, and that feels quite frightening to us. Um, what's interesting, though, is if you look at Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky's research, they said that we're more motivated by what we lose than by what we gain. So we're 2.2 times more motivated by what we lose than by what we gain. So when we get to the top of an S-curve and we know that we need to do something new with our business, with our life, et cetera, we think, oh, that looks scary. Well, one of the ways that we can kind of flip that on ourselves and say, all right, it's scary for me to jump, but what bad thing will happen to me if I stay here? And right. that can really motivate us and say, oh, well, if I stay here, then I might get pushed off. And I think I'd rather jump with a parachute than get pushed off. And so one of the ways that you can mitigate risk is, number one, take on market versus competitive risk. Recognize um, Recognizing that according to the theory, um, when you take on market risk, your odds of success are more success, uh, odds of success are higher and um, motivate yourself by thinking about what will you lose if you try to stand still. And those two things will get you to move forward. And then once you move, then there's momentum in that movement. Interesting. I mean, the point you made about like, you're more, you're more concerned about what you might lose. That's, I mean, that keeps people stuck, right? I mean, you, you can't, that's a hard one. So I definitely see that. That's great advice. Okay. So, um, you know, one thing that I always like to do, <clears throat> one thing I always like to do and look at in, in, in my life is, is gratitude and thinking about the things that we have. I feel like gratitude is an important one. Um, probably one of my, my favorite um, things you've kind of count, touched on in the book. Um, can you talk about gratitude and how, you know, taking a, a path of gratitude can help empower yourself when you're disrupting? Yeah, absolutely, Frank. Oh, I'm so glad that you brought that up. Um, 
So what's interesting about, you know, we talked a minute ago about entitlement and one of the other faces of entitlement is this belief that we are more or less important than people around us. And, um, and, and what I have found is that the only way through that when things are difficult um, or things are, have gotten easy is to be grateful. And the reason that we need to be, and I'll, let me give you an example. I, you know, in 2012 was a very difficult year for, for me. Um, I had, um, my, my husband was diagnosed with cancer. He's okay, but he was diagnosed. My younger brother took his life. Business was very difficult and financially we were in a very difficult place. I mean, it was a really tough year. And I'd always heard my entire life of, you know, you need to be, you know, you get what you get and you don't throw a fit and kind of this sort of admonitor, you know, admonishing kind of tone of voice. And I realized in that year that in fact, I needed to be grateful because it was the only way through. I had a choice. Am I going to be bitter and be like, you know, the person who's bitten by a rattlesnake and they get their limbs cut off? Or am I going to be grateful? Anyway, let's I, talk about the rattlesnake. Hold on. What was that about a rattlesnake? <laughs> okay. Yeah, there's more story. So there's a story told that I heard when I was, you know, like in my 20s about these kids who were in a desert. Mm -hmm. go out they're in the desert they're having this great time they're in high school one of their friends gets bitten by the rattlesnake mm -hmm. and so then they're like oh she got bitten by a rattlesnake let's go chase that rattlesnake and let's go kill that rattlesnake so they mm -hmm. went they killed the rattlesnake and when they came back the rattlesnake was dead but now the venom had coursed throughout her entire system and so she had to have a leg amputated so they were bitter instead of trying to figure out how to solve the problem how to be grateful and so the grat gratitude is the only way through and then the other thing is that when we're grateful for something this goes back to your idea of optimism we give that thing power so if you want to talk if you talk about debt you're going to get more debt. If you talk about building wealth and you talk about building a business and that you're grateful for everything that's happened on your business, then you're going to get more of that too. So it's bitter or grateful. It's, it's believing everything that we have um, we're grateful for and whatever we're grateful for, we get more of. And so that is how we move through this um, sense of entitlement of being a victim instead of saying, what am I going to do? How am I going to move forward? I'm grateful for what I have. Yeah, I think it's great. Great point. And I love the rattlesnake example. I don't love that they lost their leg. I think that's terrible. But I think it, it's a great example of how that that can be. Um, 2020 has been a tough year I mean, for a lot of people. Um, and I think it's really important. Gratitude is a really important way to get through it. And going back to that, that point as well is like, I think a lot of people think that there's a scarcity, like there's there, if they don't do this thing, you know, it, you know, there may not be enough of, of this one thing or that one thing. But um, I feel like along those same lines, there's a bit of abundance in the fact that, you know, th there is enough, <laughs> you know, just keep, keep working and there's probably going to be enough, you know? So yeah. I think that's, you know, like to kind of hone in, especially with startups. All right. So. Um, um, yeah, it's, it's so important. And, and, you know, having been a stock analyst, I, you know, the market's made out of people who are buying and selling. There's always someone who thinks it's a long, it's a short. So we get to right. choose. Are we going to be positive or negative? Right. Like that makes said, sense. There's always enough. Right. Right. Um, okay. So along the same lines, uh, we'll actually, we'll, we'll switch gears a little bit. We'll talk about odds. Um, here at the start of the year summit, there's, you know, hundred companies participating. Um, we, we, we net bet it down to, to, to 15 and then to five. And then we picked to start of the year. Usually the, the, the great companies that all come through, you know, we vetted already down from a thousand to a hundred. So there's some great companies already coming through. And, um, I want to talk about equal odds rule. So I think that's where I'm getting at with this and kind of with a long 
long detailed <laughs> explanation here, but more or less, you know, all these companies are coming through. What are the odds of them all being successful? Is that possible? I mean, is it, you know, let's talk about what that equals odds rule says and, and how that might apply. Yeah. Okay. So you're going to have to help me because I haven't thought about this for a little bit. So here, here's what, here's what I remember. It, it's researched by Rob Wilbank and basically said that in a pitch con- competition, there basically was no difference between the finalists and the actual winner of that pitch competition. So the fact that they were there, the fact that they were capable of being there over time, there was no difference in terms of success. Like you are just as likely to be successful if you weren't one of the finalists as if you were the actual winner. And I think that's really powerful. And it also reminds me of some research done by, um, a, a, talked about in a book called The Formula. It's a professor at Northeast he talks about how looking at kids and going to college and he says that the success is not based on the college that they went to the success is based on the college that they were capable of going to and apply to which is so powerful and I think it's so encouraging for all the startups that are at this you know part of this competition because now you're like well if you were capable of being here then that means your odds of being success for all of you are sort of equal it just depends now what do you do next totally and that's what I was getting at you you need no help that was exactly what I was getting to so let's talk about failure now (laughs) darker note success to failure okay all right so we're all over the board here we'll come back we'll bring it back so um how do you approach failure when you're disrupting yourself because obviously it's a it's a process right so let's talk about disrupting yourself and how failure can yeah. So, uh, so failure is another one of these things that I'm, I'm, I've been on this journey with. Some of them are more clear cut, like create, don't compete and, you know, entitlement, oh, difficult failure as well. I remember, um, you know, cause I'm a perfectionist recovering perfectionist. And so <laughs> I take failure hard. There's all this great research by Heidi Grant about how, you know, the trouble with bright kids and probably most of the people who are participating have been bright. So we get this identity of like my company's a success. I'm a success. My company's a failure. I'm a failure. So we start to make what happens and the things that we do, this referendum on our identity. Um, What I am really working on and what I really advocate for in my work is to start to separate out your identity from the things that you do. You are fundamentally valuable regardless of what's happening with your business. And so one of the ways that we try to play that out and you heard me as we were talking earlier is if something doesn't work in your company, I didn't have the questions prepared everybody for the conversation. And I was like, what happened? And I realized, oh, I just need to not say, well, it's someone's fault. It's just what in the system didn't work so that we can improve the system going forward. So the failure, it's part of innovation. It's part of building a business. It's a constraint. It's a tool of creation. Only if, again, not again, it's shame that actually limits our ability to disrupt. It's not failure. And so that's the thing I want everybody to take away from this. Not failure. We all fail all the time. It's shame that you attach. And that's when you allow it to become a referendum. So if you're struggling with that, and you probably all are to a little bit, to a certain extent, then just work on it. And over time, if you can have less and less ashamed attached to it, then the faster you're going to be able to rebound, the faster you're going to be able to iterate, the faster you can disrupt yourself, and the more likely you are to have a business that can be successful because you can you can re- rebound from that failure ever more quickly. Right. So that that's a great point. And so it really is about the emotional response, right, to, to failure yes, than yes. it is about well failure said. itself. Well that's said. A great, great way to put it. So 
All right. So let's talk about now you're, you're, you're going to bounce back from your failure because you have no shame. Um, but you, you know, how do you, how do you, how do you, um, you know, a lot of people have this mission, right? And a lot of companies that are successful have a mission that's bigger than the mission of the company, right? It's a, it's a why, right? And so maybe it's an yeah. internal why in their heart, or maybe it's something within the company that they've created that is the why. So I guess, you know, there's books about finding your why and all that. Let's talk about why why is important. I'm not trying to say why a bunch of times in a row here, but help us <laughs> figure out why is why so important. Why are you asking that? Um, <laughs> right. The reason it's important is that it, it allows, it, it becomes an anchor for you. So that you, and it starts to, it helps you think about something that's bigger than you are, bigger than yourself. Um, and so when something doesn't work, you don't, it's not just about you and your small little world. You're like, okay, that didn't work. But I have, you know, 10 people who are relying on me in this business. And I have a hundred people. I have a thousand people. I have a million people's lives who I am trying to get better. And so this small little setback is inconsequential compared to why I am doing what I am doing. And so the clearer that we can get on that, then those things that don't work, they're like, okay, that's a data point. Now I can get better. I can get better faster. And so the why allows you to have that perspective to zoom out and say, oh yeah, that's just some small little thing. Instead of making it a, a mountain, it just becomes a molehill and you just continue to plow forward. That makes sense. And, and obviously building and growing along the way. So let's talk about some, you, you've seen a lot of different people probably in your lifetime. What are the kind of the characteristics of, of a disruptor that, you know, you've mm -hmm. honed in on? Yeah. So so going back to our seven accelerants and, and as, well, you don't know, but we have a podcast. So we interview, you know, lots of really interesting people. And um, so looking at the accelerants, what, what are some of the characteristics? There are people who are willing to, number one, take on market risk to play where no one else is playing. We just interviewed Kara Golden for our podcast. You, all you entrepreneurs, have, are, is she part of the summit? She, she kicked off our day. <laughs> yes. Okay, we just interviewed her. Okay, so you heard her story when she first went to New York and got a job. I mean, like she is, she epitomizes what it means to play where no one else is playing. So you take on market risk. That's the first thing. Second thing that um, our characteristics are people who not only have strengths, because we all have strengths, but are actually aware of them and willing to use them. Because sometimes we don't value the things that we do reflexively well. Third characteristics, we talked about it, that willingness to embrace our constraints. The constraint isn't, why did this happen to me? It's okay, what am I going to do this with this? How can I create with this? Fourth is battling that sense of entitlement. Again, not why, but what and Things shouldn't be this way. They are what they are. Let's move forward. Gratitude for whatever comes our way. Um, five is a willingness to pivot, to be nimble, to ag be agile, to step back, to slingshot forward, give failure its due, as we talked about that resilience, that grit, that bigger picture. And then finally is being discovery driven, knowing what your why is, but then taking a step forward, gathering feedback and adapting. So to the ability to walk into ambiguity. So those are all characteristics of people who are capable of disrupting themselves. And again, you disrupt yourself because when you do your odds of success are higher, which is all what we're trying to do is, is raise the odds that we will be successful in our business, but also successful in our lives and have happy lives. Love it. I think it's, it's I mean, you pretty much summed it up perfectly. Um, is there anything else you're working on you'd like to share right now with everyone that's, that's listening? 
Um, I, I think the only thing I would say is if you're listening and you're intrigued by what we've talked about, go listen to the podcast episode with Kara Golden. And then we also have another episode that just dropped today with Sid and Shay McGee, who are Studio McGee, these really interesting entrepreneurs. They have a dream home makeover on Netflix and they've got some great, there's some great learnings there as well for you all as, as entrepreneurs. So I would go listen to to podcast episodes. definitely a loaded question for you what's your favorite book you publish if you've got a few i've only got a couple in my hand i only have two hands so so I far we got disrupt yourself and build a, building an a team you got others as well yeah you know what dan pink once said it's like asking you to choose between children but i i think i would go given in context of the conversation that we're having right now i would say disrupt yourself yeah it is yeah. all right so it's out there go check it out Thank you so much, Whitney. We really appreciate it. If you want to get in contact with you, how, how would they do that? Oh, well, like I said, you can listen to the podcast episodes. And then if you want to um, reach out to me, it's just wj at whitneyjohnson.com. All right. I hope you all found that conversation helpful. Whitney is one of those visionaries that can really help us all think differently and be the best versions of ourselves. So I really appreciate that about her and appreciate her joining us and, and spending the time. And thanks for listening. And remember, if you're out there and you like what you're hearing, please leave us a review and uh, subscribe as well, wherever you're, wherever you're listening at this point. Uh, hopefully you've, you found us and, and you like what you're hearing, and we'd love to hear those reviews. Uh, and if you have a startup idea and you want to get it started, remember, today is the best day to start up. Not tomorrow, not the next day. Don't put it off. Get something on paper. Get it going. Next thing you know, you might be the next unicorn. I'm Frank Gruber signing off. Stay well out there and be safe. Thanks for listening to the Startup of the Year podcast. Be sure to subscribe and we'll be back with another episode soon.